Welcome to The Great Unknown, Global Cultural Explorations. We venture into the unknown and discover treasures that we can bring back to share with you. So welcome to this week's episode with me, James Harris. And me, Wolf O'Neill. And this week, we're going to be talking about contact sports. Uh, so what, what else have you been up to in the last uh, couple of weeks uh, since we since we recorded the last full episode? Uh, well, uh, we just got back from canoeing in the Norfolk Broads. Yes, we did. I bought uh, I bought a kayak for 40 quid off of Gumtree and it floats and I did not drown. That was, that was very enjoyable. And after camping in a pub garden overnight midway, you lost your spray shield and uh, got quite wet on the second day. Quite a damp crotch there, yes. <laughs> spray hitting directly in the nether regions. <laughs> yeah, that was a slightly damper second day. Yeah, but the Norfolk Broads was absolutely amazing. I really, really did enjoy it. Oh my God, some of the houses there are insane. Like These massive thatched mansions, basically, with their own private little waterways and boathouses and things. Really like beautiful, but I had no idea there was so much money in Norfolk. Yeah, the Norfolk Broads, they were lovely. We saw a variety of birds. Very good for birders. <laughs> yep. The hummingbirds, herons. Yeah, oh Ducks. my god. When the swans were flying along the river and their feet were like slapping the water as if they were panicking and they were gonna fall into it. I've never seen like so many swans flying like that. It was beautiful actually. We we enjoyed some beach walks and some beach camping in the woods. Oh, that was so nice. It just the this huge sandy beaches and you had no idea that there were beaches like that in Norfolk. Absolutely glorious, isn't it? Well I did. So apart from canoeing and kayaking, is there anything else that you've been up to? Yeah, I was away in Sweden as well. I had a little wedding there. I don't know if we've talked about that on the previous episode, but I had a wedding in Sweden and it was in the woods in this forest overlooking Gothenburg, the most beautiful wedding I think I've ever been to. And I was the flower girl, which I really enjoyed, uh, made flowers for everyone, like picked wild flowers and so everyone had their carnations. That was really fun. And uh, yeah, I've been, oh, swimming. I finished the swimming challenge that I've been doing as well. Nice. How did that go? So, yeah, it went really well. I finished it, basically. I ended up with having to swim about nine kilometers in the last weekend, and I've never swum more than about two and a half, um, or maybe two, two and a half in, in a single go before. So I had to do four and a half and then five and a half, I think, on the final Saturday and Sunday, and I was absolutely knackered. But finished it, raised some money for the British Red Cross for their refugee program. So yeah, over the moon, and did it. And it was actually really, really... Um, yeah, it's nice nice to be done. Also, there was a really cool uh, little art event I went to recently, which was from Audible. And they did Audible Live, and it was called Hag. And it was in nice. a gallery space underneath uh, Phonica Records in Soho. And they had audio stories and installations combined. So people were reading... Uh, like They had people doing audiobook versions of new folk tales that artists had written and either they were brand new folk tales or they were twists on the idea of previous folk tales really kind of niche stuff from yorkshire cornwall all these kind of places so uh it was a lot of the folk tales were twisted to be kind of refocus the idea of gender identities um within those folk tales so really enjoyable so there was one in a forest and so they'd made a little mini forest and with all sort of lights and trees and things that you could go and sit into and you'd listen to it in that environment and there was one about the smells of kind of cooking and they had all of these plants and things that you could you could sniff and that would kind of a, a, a picnic table almost and that was 
a sense to enhance the listening experience as well. Like 4D? Yeah, kind of, yeah. So just, Smell-o-vision. Yeah. It's a really beautiful sensory experience. So just a nice way to complement audio. And obviously what we're doing here is trying to just give you this most beautiful audio experience. We could thoroughly recommend listening to us. Where, where would you most recommend that you listen to this podcast, Wolf? What would you be doing to, to enhance your experience of this podcast? Do you mean by which provider or which physical location? Which physical location? Um... Somewhere noisy so you can't hear it. <laughs> so not in the bath. You don't want you don't listen to it in the bath and relax because that's not going to help. You want to listen to it on a building site. Uh, yeah. Also, you might get electrocuted in the bath. Who knows? <laughs> Especially if it's like if you somehow were using one, an old-fashioned radio. So, so your best experience of listening to this podcast would be standing next to a person with a pneumatic drill. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Or the beach. I guess. I don't know. The beach. <laughs> classic. Classic answer. As long, as long as you're not eating and the seagulls can't bomb you. Yeah, that's no good. I got a seagull stole a sandwich out of my head. It smacked me in the back of the head. And then I turned around to see what hit me in the back of the head. And I looked back around and my sandwich was flying off in the claws of this bird. I was like, what the... Yeah, that seagull hit me um, and tried to rip the sandwich out of my hand while I was, like, putting it to my mouth. And uh, I managed to hold on to the sandwich and rip it from the bird. But it was too late. Devastating. Soiled. Soiled. A soiled sandwich. Let's let's get on to the topic of this week, and actually, this week, we've got a guest in the studio, and uh, we're going to be talking contact sports. I love how this bedroom is a studio. Hey, it's I think it's pretty advanced. So we have a guest, and uh, we're going to be talking to them in a second, but we just wanted to say that our episode this week is about contact sports. Yep, we're going to be talking about the psychology of that, and whether the aggression and physical contact has... What, what role that plays and how we respond to that uh, when we play sports. Uh, we're going to be looking at little little bits of other sports from around the world. Uh, as we introduced on the bonus pod, we're going to be talking about kabaddi and roller derby. Lacrosse is a Native American game. Yeah, I saw that was invented. That, that was on your notes. Um, all, I, all I know is that it was invented hundreds and hundreds of years ago by the Native American people and was taken and then readopted by the settlers well we're gonna we might look at a couple of might take a little bit of a side swipe at some of the issues in nfl and rugby as well when we get towards the end as well just to but let's let's start this week with our guest uh, from lfc alex hello <laughs> so um if you'd like to introduce yourself just tell us who you are and uh, a little bit about what you're doing in relation to contact sports yeah so i'm alex i live in london and earlier this year i started a football club um and it's grown into a kind of a big deal so yeah i'm excited to talk about that today tell us a little bit about it and how it works so the team is called Lesbian Football Club, but we're not um, exclusively lesbians. We're open to any uh, female identifying queer person. And um, yeah, it's, we meet once a week and we play in wood green and we're definitely very amateur. And some people have never kicked a ball. Some people have been playing for years. So there's a real mix of levels and abilities, um, but it's lots of fun. Excellent. And how did this club start? What made you uh, create it in the first place? I guess I wanted a space for queer women to meet in a friendly way that wasn't in like a queer night out or or an arts event, something that was a bit silly and a bit fun and something completely out of a lot of people's comfort zones. And how has everybody responded to it? Uh, the, yeah, it's 
it's been really, really successful. Everyone that's come has come back. And now we have a team of about 25 women and around 10 or 12 people come each week. And yeah, it's really relaxed. People don't have to be able to make it each week. You don't have to like pay a fee or anything like that. It's very casual. And it's also just a a social community now as well, where we all go on nights out together. We've got social secretary, Becky, who um, keeps us all very entertained and occupied with all the latest events. And I think around the World Cup was when we really, the Women's World Cup was when we really started to... um, What was your impression of the Women's World Cup? Um, Well, around the time of the Women's World Cup, we'd been playing for maybe three or four months and suddenly we were immersed into this uh, community that was much bigger than our own. We'd watch the games in pubs with several other women's teams um, that were always there and we'd get to meet and network with other women who were just football fans like us. So it kind of opened our eyes to a a wider community we kind of thought it was something that we were just doing and it was a bit of a laugh and then we were like oh no actually this is quite serious and people are following this quite religiously and it was just really cool to see it happening on such a large scale and be a part of that and that really helped our growth as a team I think and solidified what what we were kind of passionate about. And have you been able to meet up and play against any of these other teams that you started mm-hmm. to meet? Well, we, it's a bit, that's a tricky subject because we're kind of not feeling ready for that yet. But we do talk about that a lot. And we have a couple of teams that we want to play friendlies with, but we're still very much growing as a team and in the early stages. And I think we're kind of cautious about taking us to that level just yet, but definitely one day. We want to join a league. And at the minute, we're just in a league of our own. <laughs> I was just going to say how devastating was it that England just oh, didn't make it. So sad. We were absolutely gutted. Our coach, I've got this amazing video of our coach that's just, she's just like screaming and crying at the screen. But yeah, it was really, really sad. But also really great that we were able to be a part of that and to feel that kind of sadness at something that I used to think was so trivial, like sport I used to think was very male dominated and very kind of lad culture and not something I could ever really connect with. And being able to connect with the women's team on such a strong, empathetic level, I was like, this is amazing that I was able to even be a part of that. So, And they did so well. So it was all really good. Like how incredible generally is uh, the US soccer team as well. Yeah. And then Megan Rapinoe and everything oh she God. was talking about afterwards mm-hmm. was like, it doesn't matter who, you know, who, who was kind of paying attention to that. Yeah it was well worth it and I think the the team was incredible and she in particular was absolutely outstanding absolutely and by the uh, like we were kind of supporting England and America all the way through just because of the state of the US at the moment it was really good to have something positive for them and obviously Megan is a, a big kind of figure in the queer community as well so it was all just really good it was like it didn't feel like we'd lost we'd just kind of come a really strong second and we're still celebrating for US so it was good we're talking this week about contact sports. Mm-hmm. So what we wanted to ask about was how you feel about the physical side of the game. Yeah, that's something that really does interest me more and more when I think about it because, um, one, it's just a great exercise <laughs> um, and it has really helped a lot of us in loads of ways, like mental health and all of that. But um, I think I have this joke whenever we're playing and something happens and we're kind of um, all moving in a in a similar but very different way. I always say like, oh, we're dancing. It's like we're dancing. And it does feel like that. It's very um, rhythmic and impulsive and quite like intimate in lots of ways and the way your body moves. Uh, and I hurt <laughs> the day after I hurt in places I never knew even existed, you know, and it's just so 
that's really great. And you just feel like you're just running after a ball, but it's so much more than that. And your body is pushing itself. And that's really great. Do you think that the the actual contact side is something that actually maybe increases that bond? Like, So when you're actually, you know, it's not a racket sport where mm-hmm. you don't come into contact with your teammates or your opponents, but because you're actually physically coming into contact do you think that increases the community aspect of of the game for you absolutely like I said it is intimate and you do get very up and close with people and it can be quite aggressive and it can be competitive and that's interesting we had I think it all kind of hit us how physical things are earlier this a little bit earlier this year one of our players got concussion from a fall and we were like oh okay like this is real and this is actually a contact sport that we're playing and we're not just running around having a great time it can you can get injured and we've had all the kind of twisted ankles and sprained knees and all of that stuff as well but um yeah it just kind of hit home how important it is to take care of each other amongst the kind of fun and aggression and competitiveness of the game did you have to reassess anything within your club after mm. You experienced the concussion in terms of working forward yes we definitely had chats about it because i think we're a DIY team and we we don't some of us don't know the rules of the game or don't know how to play properly and that was a real kind of moment where we had to just take a step back and be considerate to how we're playing on the on the field and just look after each other those things are always going to happen no matter how prepared you are because it's a contact sport but yeah it was really it did shock us and I think we needed that shock when you were watching the British women's team playing Mm. Does it make you invigorated as a fan when you see them being particularly contact orientated, mm-hmm. when you see them survive a really tough tackle and yeah. get up and keep going? Those interactions, do they spur you on as fans? Do they invigorate you to to cheer and support more? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that it's a tough sport and I think that they're strong women and they are like at the top of their game and they're very used to handling a lot of, you know, rough play or whatever but I think it is exciting it's very exciting to watch that happen I don't think it's I think maybe it's different because it's what I'm watching women and not men but I don't know I think that it's all done in a safe kind of way I I don't think I never feel like oh that's no that's really interesting because um certainly in rugby and NFL concussions become a huge huge issue Mm. particularly I think because of the you know the incidences of contact are really high in those Mm. sports particularly and there's a lot of rules coming around about the tackle because there's so much research being done literally in the last couple of years and it's still it's happening now uh, that people are figuring out how much damage concussion is doing so for you and your awareness of concussion where do you where did your awareness of it come from and what is it is there is there anything that's made you take it so seriously or was that just something you were you were aware of anyway that you think other sports have just been ignoring or is it something that because you've seen it in other sports you feel like you were more aware of it yeah I definitely wasn't aware of it before it happened and the girl that it happened to just kind of like put it in our whatsapp group she's like oh the doctor said I can't play for six weeks I've got concussion we were all like oh wow like kind of like oh my god like and it was almost a joke at first like oh what you know and the girl that happened to was like oh I it doesn't even hurt don't even feel that bad like it's actually okay I wish I could come to football and having that ban like someone's not allowed to play for six weeks that's a long time like a lot of we train a lot and we had progressed a lot by the time she'd got back and I think that I wasn't aware of it at all before that happened I think people were more cautious from that moment on and we just like it was a tackle that made her 
fall and get concussions so we just try and tackle a lot a bit lighter now and I think there's there was an excitement initially that it was new and it was fresh and we're excited to be doing this and I think now we just realize the implications of some things and we have to just take it a little easier do you think if you're playing in competitive games going forward Mm. that some of that caution might fall by the wayside as you get invigorated into the games Yes, that will probably definitely happen. And I think that's a risk that you take when you play a contact sport. You put yourself in that vulnerable position of potentially getting injured in whatever way, but that doesn't stop you doing it because the thrill of doing it is outweighs all of that. And, you know, the concussion, the girl who had the concussion was has since come back and is still just as confident on the pitch as ever and still throwing herself out there. And, you know, those things happen and the love of the sport outweighs any kind of potential risk, I think. How do you feel about the value of physicality within the sport mm. at your level and then at pro level as well? How do you, how do you feel that, that it's valued? I don't see what we do as what I watch people do on the telly. Do you know what I mean? I don't see or as the Women's World Cup, I'm not looking at that level. And that's why I, even when people ask, like, are you going to play friendlies? Are you going to join a league? Are you going to do this? I'm like, I'm actually just... And I think we all are just really enjoying what it is at the minute and the simplicity of it and the lack of pressure that surrounds it and it is just something we do for fun and I think that if we ever took steps to formalize that or make it more of a profession then we would lose a lot of the joy that goes along with it and a lot of the freedom. Yeah that's that's really interesting and I think the point you made earlier on about when you watch people at a pro level being physical you're not concerned because you see that they've got all the kind of care around it mm. so and that's perhaps the difference is for you the care is just the level that you choose to play at and mm. what makes you happy and maybe that's that's the difference is that at the, at the higher levels you know the systems have to be in place kind of thing yeah so what how do you how do you your level cope when the physicality goes overboard say so obviously we talked about the concussion but mm-hmm. just even in terms of fouls if you've got somebody who's just um I don't know maybe you've got players on your teams who are just uh, a bit more lethal with a slide tackle or something <laughs> and, and stud mm-hmm. people in the shins a bit um how do you how do you cope with that because you don't have uh, refs and you don't have the strict rules like pros so mm-hmm. how do you deal with foul play essentially well we do have a coach and her name's Hannah and she is very very much like a ref when we're actually playing so when we're training she's the coach and when we're playing she's the ref and she does call things out if necessary she does give penalties if necessary free kicks if necessary and so on so she does very much act in that referee position and as we all learn more about the game and are growing as a team we're all kind of um, instinctively doing that ourselves as well and recognizing when we've done something that was a bit harsh or a bit out of line or whatever or offside (laughs) but um, yeah so I think that we do manage that in our own way. It doesn't have the formality of a professional game, obviously, because we're not a professional team. But we do, we are just kind of recognising those things ourselves and dealing with them as they come. We haven't got anyone particularly aggressive or <laughs> who causes trouble in the group. None of us are quite at that level yet. So so do you, would you say that it's that's an essential part of the sport for you is that there is somebody who is there to... Uh, uphold the laws basically and mm. to kind of provide a bit of an impartial view on that yeah I really do I really do I think that without Hannah we would be very lost and I think we need that kind of voice of reason we all look to her for that advice and trust her in her opinions and all of that so I think yeah that is important that's really interesting for me I think because 
the discussion about adherence to rules and how games are refereed and controlled mm. is, I think, a big discussion right the way from um, amateur level up to pro level. And it's about um, how those rules are applied and what the value of those rules is. And I think every kind of level needs that in order to control it. Because for me, it's something we're going to go and talk about later on the episode is is a kind of innate sense of aggression, whether mm. that is a thing or not a thing um, within human beings. And yeah, I'm finding it really interesting just to hear you say that it's a big part of just a, in any level, just having that kind of having that structure in place Absolutely. is really important. It's essential. It's definitely essential. And I think as you were talking then, I was thinking about all the uproar around the referees during the Women's World Cup. There was a lot of issues and that was an, a kind of alien concept to me where I'm going to be like, oh my God, like I hate the ref. They've made a really bad decision there. And I was like, oh wow, like this is being controlled by a, like an exterior kind of force that's separate from the game in many ways. Um, and seeing that the ref as this like villain character was really interesting, quite theatrical. And um, I think sport in general has a lot of aspects of theatre in it. But I thought that the ref was a really interesting villain character that really came into light in a lot of the big Women's World Cup games. But I don't see our ref as a villain. <laughs> um, just to be clear, I don't see Hannah as a ref, as a villain figure. But she definitely, you know, there's definitely that banter around, like, what the hell? Like, oh, my God, ref, like, where were you? You couldn't see that. Or, like, she calls you out on something and you kind of, like, feel that that hurt, you know, that someone's told you off or, like, a school teacher has told you off. I like that. I like the use of, like, that it's theatre and, and villains because, mm. yeah, maybe that's what sport is. It's, it's a drama that you, yeah. you get involved in. And so... Yeah, so having a villain character or some mm-hmm. kind of some dramatic exchanges is all part of it and part yeah. of the fun. Absolutely. And a lot of us work in the arts and we always call like halftime the interval and like the kit, the costumes. And, you know, so there's always that overlap and a few of us are a bit dramatic anyway. So, yeah, there's definitely that feel in our team for sure. Um, You were talking about sports in general. Mm-hmm. In addition to getting into football, has this increased your interest in sport in general do you find yourself getting more involved in all of the big calendar events as they come up is there anything else that you're watching and enjoying uh, actually no it has definitely increased my interest in football in general but I haven't really found any overlaps in other sports yet I think that the fact that we are playing it and the fact that we are learning about it obviously increases our interest in it and especially around the women's world cup kind of fury and that's what piqued my interest yeah, it wasn't I don't haven't yet been interested in like cricket or anything or, or American football or, but maybe one day maybe I'll start another club. <laughs> Hypothetically, if you imagine you could set up any club, mm. what do you think you might pick? Um It could be as bonkers as you want it to be. I think I maybe would like to do a basketball one. I think that there's some overlaps in basketball and football. And a lot of the team have played netballs before. But also I used to play tag rugby because women weren't allowed to play actual rugby in my school. And I used to love love that. Um, and I'm from Wales, so that's a big part of my culture, I guess. But um, yeah, I would like to start a, a contact rugby team of women. And I know that that exists, but it, it's kind of, it feels a bit rebellious because it was never allowed as a child. So that would be interesting, I think. That's really nice to hear you say that because uh, being the big rugby fan here, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of talk at the moment. I think uh, Brian Moore is a is a commentator. He used to play men's rugby for England, and he's he thinks that women's rugby is actually the biggest area of growth potential within the game. Wow! And 
I've found that when I've been watching women's rugby as well is that the focus is skill set and so it's actually a lot more exciting to watch sometimes yeah and I think it brings in a different approach to the game and that's what I've been really enjoying as I don't think that that men's sport has the kind of ultimate key to enjoyment or anything and it's and as you were saying earlier on it's still a drama either way so you know the more that the coverage comes in um the more you're able to get involved in that story so mm-hmm. yeah i'd be really interested to see if you kind of if when other women's sports roll around if if that kind of takes off more in this country as well yeah um, that would be really cool i think as well something that i during the women's world cup you're talking about um the skill set of the women and things i think i had a lot of men and like my dad and my brothers who are always very kind of macho men very proud of liverpool football club and very you know very into that they were like oh the, these women these women are really good you know like, and it was like <laughs> such a shock and like oh, wow some of the women are actually like better than the men like and it was a real eye-opener and i think the the games are a lot less scrappy and messy and just the skill set is a lot stronger i think and i noticed that a lot and hearing very macho men say that was really refreshing i think and seeing the way men support the women's world cup as well that was really good really important and yeah i think a real game changer <laughs> pun sorry <laughs> <laughs> more than welcome more than welcome <laughs> no it's really great and mm-hmm. i'm continually following the updates in america mm-hmm. about how the U.S. men's team is struggling beyond belief, yeah. while the women's team is passing heights that no one could imagine, mm-hmm. and yet there's still those like disparity gaps between them, yep. and how the the country is kind of trying to reconcile those differences in how they view sport going mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. Are you disappointed that you were put off from sport for so many years prior to now? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And if there's anyone out there listening who also feels disconnected from sport or unable to get into it because it doesn't appeal to them, Mm. what would you say that might change their mind or open them up to getting involved in a new activity that they maybe had felt Mm. was closed off to them? I think the the difference for me was I would still be now and was always intimidated to join something that already existed and that might not be accepting of me for whatever reason or be at my level for whatever reason I think my situation is different because I've I've founded something that I know will be inclusive of lots of different people and lots of different abilities and capabilities and I don't think that still I don't think that exists in all teams in a professional way and maybe that's my reluctance to join a league or to start playing matches against other teams is that what we have at the minute feels safe in lots of ways and feels secure and it doesn't feel like there's any judgment or any risk attached to people joining who have who like I said have never kicked a ball before and I want to always keep that that openness and keep it accessible to those people so yeah I think that sport in general has a layer of prestige that only certain people can tap into and that's something i wanted to change with lesbian football club so i was wondering especially if anyone out there decides they also want to set up their own team how did you get the idea off the ground and get it Mm -hmm. up and running so it was very simple i just uh it started with about four or five of my friends and we just met at hackney downs park and i brought football and we played and that was it And then week by week, people would bring a friend or a friend of a friend, and then it started to grow and grow. 
and that was when I st- something clicked and I was like, okay, this is now no longer just mates meeting up in a park. This is actually something that we could could become something. Yeah, we just kind of started to formalize things. We made a WhatsApp group. We kept like the WhatsApp group initially was like silent every week and like no one wanted to post anything, but there was like maybe 10 members in there. And since then it's like grown into this constant a hub of like activity and socializing. And then we, uh, I did some research, found a cheap pitch hire, which is really great. And they have like astroturfs and lights and it feels very, very professional. And then, yeah, we just started to put the word out um, and encouraged everyone to bring, we have a, a try, everyone can come for a trial session. There's no commitment that you have to come continually after that trial session. You just have to let us know. And if you want to join the team from that moment, you're added to the WhatsApp group and you're in the team as far as we're concerned. And yeah, it's just all about spreading the word. I had to be very, we all were, but we were all very vigilant about letting people know. We got caps that say football on them. And we just like, whenever we go out or people have been, you know, coming up to us at pubs and we're wearing the caps, like, oh, are you a teen? Like, where'd you get a cap? Blah, 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 blah. So it's like just interesting how small acts of just being being present at these events at the sporting events uh, at the screenings of the women's world cup we are able just to recruit and recruit more people which is really good i love club stash and gear i know yeah <laughs> we, much much <laughs> but yeah it's really great and it's interesting seeing from the beginning of the team to now um we've just grown so much and i think even in like you're talking about aggression or competitiveness earlier like at, at first we were all very apologetic if we if we tackled someone or if we like kind of grabbed someone's shirt or if we like barged or yeah we'd just like we'd successfully take the ball off another player and then we'd look back and be like sorry <laughs> sorry I did that um <laughs> or like we'd score a goal and be like oh should I have done that and now we're just like letting rip and it's really great and there's none of that um but there's still the care and community that I think is there because alongside the football club we are also now a group of friends that socialise outside of the game. That's awesome to hear, actually. As you've grown as a team and the physicality and aggressions mm-hmm. become more commonplace mm-hmm. and it's still grounded in the fact that you're just a team that comes together to do this and yeah. you just keep improving mm-hmm. and you keep embracing the sport, but you still have that. Just It's the community and the team mm-hmm. and just the drama and the fun of sport that keeps you going absolutely and whether it's you know however physical it is and that's that's really lovely to hear yeah those two things go hand in hand I think we are able to be aggressive and competitive with one another because we have um a relationship outside of that and respect for each other and get the game and yeah a passion for it all so now when somebody tackles you really effectively mm-hmm. are you instead of them apologizing are you now cheering them on i mean like that was a great tackle yeah absolutely or i'm like pissed off (laughs) you know yeah that they've done that yeah or like it's like it's really interesting and there's always a pride mixed with the competitiveness like even you know the other team win a match and we're like okay you know there's a there's a sadness that you've lost but there's also a real pride and celebration of what the other team did and that's nice I think it'd be great to see, it'd be really interesting to catch up with you again if mm-hmm. um, if you do end up doing sort of competitive games against people you don't know and just yes. see how that community spirit plays out. And I guess when you're coming up against other teams, it's a shared passion that you have, you know, because obviously if you don't know them, you don't have that sort of those personal bonds. Yeah, but it'd be really interesting to see how that plays out and with it's, maybe it's the shared passion because mm-hmm. I think that's what I found when, whenever I've played sport, even if it's against people, you just 
share in the joy of the game. Kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. From all of this and everything that you've created, what do you think is the number one thing you've discovered about yourself? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think the football club has taught me a huge amount, a huge, huge amount about people, about community building, about sport, about football. But mostly, yeah, it has just been, I call it like a therapeutic thing now. And it's very much helped me in ways that like don't even really want to go into. But it's been, it's made me realise that people, it's just, it was just amazing to to know that something that I had initially started could grow into something. And that's, due, you know, something so successful. And that's due to who is a part of the team and the team itself. But it's one of the biggest, it is the biggest achievement in my life so far just and I know that sounds quite extreme but it is and it's the thing I look forward to the most and thing I'm most proud of outside of any other work accomplishment or anything like that and it's just taught me of the value of and the simplicity of just finding a time and a place for people to meet every week and do something and the impact that that can have on so many different aspects of your life and I assume you are are you seeing those positive interactions and growth within all the other new members of your club and watch them as they come in and go through a number of sessions yeah definitely I mean I I, you know I can't speak for them but I see the improvement in their skill and I see the you know joy that that brings and people are genuine after we go to the pub after each session and people are like oh my god I can't believe I did that or I can't you know I, I just can't believe I'm I'm getting so much better at this and and I think just seeing how people who have never met each other are now hanging out outside of football and forming friendships and and more um, but yeah I think that that's really that's really nice to to witness and are you a Liverpool supporter like your family I am yes I am a Liverpool supporter and that was partly where, where the name came from as well lesbian football club is also LFC and you know all of that so I am but most of all I'm an England women's team supporter at the moment yeah <laughs> Um, and if anyone was uh, interested to find out more about your club or to mm-hmm. come along, where do you train? How do people yes. find out more about you? Yes. So at the moment, we're based in Wood Green and we meet there. We alternate on Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursday evenings so that at least everyone can come hopefully twice a month. And if you want to join us, feel free anytime. The best way to find us is on our Instagram and we are at LFC London. So give us a follow and yeah, let us know if you want to come. That'd be really great. Awesome. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> great. Alex, thank you so much for thank coming you. on. It's, it's been, been a pleasure. Ab- yeah, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been amazing. Thanks thank so much you. for sharing Thanks. all your, your knowledge and experience with us. Very welcome. And Thanks good luck for with everything me. that uh, you're doing with the club. Thank you. Thank you. And we're back. So, Wolf, um, what did you... Well, that was great. Absolutely wonderful interview. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been really great meeting Alex, actually. There was a lot in there that I think um, we, we we had some questions planned out and then we just kind of ran with it, just chatting to Alex because, yeah, just really just great to hear from her and what her her perspective of contact sports is. And so, James, you've been looking up a little bit to do with the psychology of contact sports, the science behind aggression and, and teamwork and how the, they all link together. Was there anything that you... Uh, saw support the evidence you've been looking up or anything that you learned from that yeah so uh 
it's just been more of a general research into into uh, sports, but particularly the where what what role aggression plays in it. And I was was reading a paper actually that was talking about the definition of aggression because it, there was some confusion between what aggression actually means. And so I was actually looking at an A level discussion of uh, an A level P kind of discussion of uh, contact sports and aggression in sports. And this, so this is an academic article um, designed for sort of British education. And it says that aggression has been defined as any form of behavior directed toward the goal of harming or injuring another living being who is motivated to avoid such treatment. And so this, this raises a lot of issues. One is the goal is harming. So I think we often, when we talk about aggression in sports, I think people are often talking about different things as well. Because so there are two forms of aggression that we mainly identify in sports. Well, so even even in within sports aggression, there are different forms. Um, but I think whether it's aggression in the first place is another matter. So there's a, there's physicality. So we talked a lot about the physical aspect of football with with Alex, but that wasn't um, about aggression necessarily. But that was about the physical aspect of a contact sport, because if if you take aggression as that definition, then it's about intending to harm somebody and that's not what it's about in sport so you're saying that there's a difference between being assertive controlling and dominant for the purpose of achieving a goal and aggression that is almost outside of the realms of the sport that's being played so that's that's once you get into the sporting context even whether it's aggression or not in the first place is the first thing but then once you get into the sporting context Yes, you do have, there's two types. It's called instrumental or channeled or hostile or reactive. So instrumental aggression, channeled, it's it's when you're using it and you're focusing it. You're focusing your physicality on performing a certain task. And then hostile and reactive is when it's coming from somewhere as a response rather than any kind of form of controlled physical response. It's It's almost like a chemical reaction. Like when a seagull steals a sandwich. Yeah, exactly, and you get really angry. <laughs> so what you're actually looking for in sports is assertive behaviour, which is sometimes referred to as aggression. And what you're looking to do is use sufficient force. Now, there are different theories about where aggression comes from, and this is really interesting to me, because why why do we use aggression and physicality within sports? Why do we willingly put ourselves in harm's way? And so looking at... There's four different kind of main theories about aggression. One is that it's completely instinctive and innate to human human beings, which is an interesting one. So it, it, it comes regardless of who you are. There's an element of that within you, which would suggest that actually when you use it in a controlled manner, that actually maybe that's a helpful thing in the rest of your life. So by that theory, people who take out their aggression in controlled forms like rugby or NFL or soccer or whatever, they might actually be calmer in real life. However, that's just one theory that it's it's inherent in there. One and another one is that it builds up out of frustration, and frustration being defined as you know being prevented from achieving goals that you have, and when that happens to you, your your physical response to that, or your emotional response to that, can come in different ways, and one of those is uh, aggression. So if if there's a build up. You know that's that's how you can so for example you'll often find that um sports players will lash out when they're on a kind of 
difficult losing situation because they're they're so frustrated. So I think that carries some credence. And then there's aggressive cue where you are looking at there's stimulus, specific stimulus for aggression. So for example, fans cheering on um, your aggressive behavior and coaches encouraging you to do that. So you are you're encouraged to to do these certain aggressive acts. Like so a few years ago in the NFL the head coach of the Saints and the defensive coordinator were both suspended for multiple seasons because they had been headhunting. They'd been making their players deliberately permanently injure opponents for money and for rewards so that they would go out to play an opponent and they would circle, this person has a knee weakness, so let's headbutt them in the knee, let's punch them in the knee. When we get into a tackle, let's smash them in the face. And uh, it was discovered that they'd obviously been essentially bribing players to permanently remove people from the game. Yeah, and this this raises huge ethical questions about why we even play these aggressive sports and what is it about them. Because that's kind of lending credence to the theory that this is an innate human characteristic that actually we possibly shouldn't be encouraging. But you'll also be glad to know that the team I support, the 49ers, defeated the Saints in the playoffs that year when they were doing this against all odds as an upset win and uh, trounced them right at the end of the game to steal this from them, even though they had been actively planning how to hurt every one of the players on my team. Excellent. That's what we like. Great um, stuff. I'm pleased for you. Although I've decided... It's the best that... game I've ever seen. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's the best game I've ever seen. Was it close or were you just thrilled to trounce them? No, no, it was really close. And we won in the last... In the last three minutes of the game, there were, I think, two or three lead changes. I think we scored, then they went all the way down the field and scored again, and then we managed to score before the time expired one last touchdown to win the game. But, so is it is actually a part of your enjoyment of that game? Is it like Alex was saying, because it's a story and there's the drama? So because you've got these villain characters, did you enjoy it more because of that? Yeah, and... It was it was everything to do with seeing my team in a crucial uh, one-and-done kind of elimination game. They were in their own stadium. It's the first time I'd ever seen them go to the playoffs. They were competing against a team that was more favoured and was dominating, and we were kind of holding on. And, yeah, it just took... All the players involved seemed to have to really achieve some feats of of athleticism in order to achieve the win. So that's yeah that's really that's interesting because this speaks to the idea um i was reading a book by the former england cricketer ed smith and he was interviewing the writer nick hornby about why he likes sport he interviewed a bunch of different people about what sport meant for them and there was like a ceo of some business who was like it's a competition and i see sport as a metaphor for competition and i want to win and you know then he was chatting to the writer nick hornby who says that he likes to just feel sport and he likes the story of it and so uh, he says, these fans are the type who simply trace the action and are moved by what they see. They follow the plot in their hearts. They may very much want one team to win, but they aren't blind to the sadness of wishing defeat on the opposition. They seek rather than demand victory, admire brilliance, sympathize with humiliation and crave sportsmanship. And I think that's a beautiful way to approach sports. And I think when you, what what concerns me is things like the Saints, when you, when you start to lose this idea of sportsmanship, I'm, I'm 
really beginning to kind of understand and embrace this idea of sportsmanship that the reason that we value that is because what sportsmanship is essentially doing is understanding that you are sharing in something together and you're sharing in a in like a it's like a human kind of evolution you're controlling your instincts competitively and all all the things in sport are saying you must win you must win you must and you're you're given so many cues like aggressive cue theory to to dominate your opponents to beat them Uh, but to actually then be able to turn around but and constantly have in your mind that you acknowledge their fellow human beings and that the sport is is not the be all and end all and that's what concerns me is when something like when money gets involved in sport and winning becomes more important than anything else and then that's when people can start to encourage aggression and so that, that was the last part of the aggressive theories was uh, social learning so you have learned and reinforced uh, ideas of aggression so that can when you learn aggressive tendencies from the sort of authority figures in your life whether they be family members coaches you're more likely to learn them and you socially develop those aggressive ideas and well we all know the difference don't we when you're watching the game or you're watching rugby say and a player manages to chase down another player and makes an incredible tackle a completely dominating tackle that puts them straight on their back but if it's all done legally and within the rules of the game it's just a powerful, impressive maneuver. Whereas the moment one player starts swinging a punch and punches someone else in the face, you're disengaged, you're not interested, you're no longer supporting that player, it doesn't matter if they're on your team or not. And you know that the moment that's happened, that that's just, it's just uncalled for. And we realise that um, the kind of, the bubble has burst. Yeah, I think that's the thing is, what, what I admire about it is, I think you can approach it in two ways, aggression and physicality in sports. One where you you take that instrumental approach and you channel it because you understand that there's this... It's almost like controlling. So the amygdala is the part of the brain that um, elicits that kind of response. It does your fight, flight and things like that. And so actually what you're doing in a competitive environment is you're putting yourself through a challenge you're putting yourself your your body and your mind under stress and it's about how you respond to that and for me the you know yes there are players who are incredibly reactive and just and they still manage to channel that in a certain way but if you know they're very easy to tip over whereas the ones who have are always channeled always focused they tend to be the kind of greatest players um, have have you ever been playing a sport and felt yourself acting aggressively outside of the confines of kind of the the team and the, and the and the game totally and i think you know it's the red mist thing isn't it 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 happens to people and why i think it's it, it's interesting particularly in contact sports is because there's so much opportunity for that and what the more kind of contact you're coming into the more cues you're given to respond to um the greater the challenge in a way to to control yourself and, and have have you experienced it whereby you feel that frustration you feel that increase in intensity and the desire to play or win is at an all-time high and you make a huge play that's potential like that is dominated by aggression but is not you lashing out but is you completely achieving what you need to achieve have you ever have you ever done that 
where you just feel like you've stepped up your game, that the pressure was on and you responded positively to it and you've given your team the edge? I don't know if I ever gave my team the edge. I think the last time... So I played a little bit of rugby at university and at school. And actually, I I really enjoyed... When I was at school, Like we were not cool kids, but I really enjoyed playing rugby, but no one thought I was any good at it because it wasn't cool. And actually, in the house tournament in year 11, I think I was one of the top try scorers. And I just took... I don't think I ever... No one ever acknowledged that or anything like that, but I actually took a lot of pleasure from the fact that no one expected me to do any good, but I was just there doing the best that I could and I really enjoyed that but then similarly I used to play football when I was I was in the Aylesbury Saints under 12 team and for some reason they lost all their players over the summer that I joined so they were in the top local division and then all of a sudden didn't have any good players and we got I think our best result the entire first year that I played for them was like we lost 7-0 that was the best result and I was the goalkeeper. <laughs> so, but I actually, but I remember really enjoying that and really enjoying, I would really take pleasure in just, you know, pulling off one great save in a game and doing doing what I could. And I found, you know, it, it wasn't about, you know, beating the opposition so much as... Do you remember when Pask flipped Dougie and he landed on his back for the tackle, and he was given five house points <laughs> for such an aggressive and dominating tackle. Didn't he break his collarbone? Or something? No, no, no. He broke uh, Dave's collarbone. Which Dave? Dave Harris. Oh God. Yeah, Pask was a really a friend of ours. Matt Pask was a brutal tackler. Uh, but yeah, that's that's an interesting thing, isn't it? it? Because that's definitely a reward for aggression. But maybe that's misguided from. Was it Mr. Lawson at the time, who was always like, "Come on, boys, you're on the edge of the toilet seat. You're on the edge of the toilet seat. Don't slide into the bowl." And it was very, very masculine, aggressive, isn't it? But then, could you also argue that that Pasqua was never going to be enthused by the game or feel like he was a worthy player until he achieved one thing randomly one day, and then was encouraged to keep playing? Yeah, it's an interesting balance, isn't it? Is do you encourage people because they've done something notable? Or do you try and encourage people so that they can kind of better themselves and just and I don't think there was ever that approach at our school necessarily. Um What what's the number one thing that you would take away from from this? Something th- that maybe affects how you now view sports when you're watching them or you think about certain aspects of a rugby game? Do you know what? It it's really just reminded me to focus on sportsmanship and that that winning is not everything and i think particularly when it comes to contact sports there's a misconception that it's the the goal is to win at all costs and that includes the cost of your body and your opponent's bodies and i and i think that's a really uh, i think that that's a bit general but for me it's reminded me to be more that i want to be more on the side of the sportsmanship and to enjoy the story as alex was saying to enjoy that community, to enjoy the shared passion for something that is challenging rather than to enjoy the proving yourself as a more competitive figure. And I think that is a very masculine, um, patriarchal idea. So do you think you're going to go join another team? Do you know, I've, I've, I've been really wanting to, I, do you know what? I, I still get put off actually by rugby teams. You know, I remember when I played rugby at university, the local rugby club, the blokes there were incredibly blokish and it was quite 
it's socially difficult actually because they were so aggressive and you know fighting was was kind of the way they talked about it and maybe that's just their particular club um and that's why i think that you know it's been particularly interesting to get talk to alex as well and i'm i'm more interested in women's sports more and more because they're not doing it to to do this macho proving of anything you know the idea is to still get to those values that make us all enjoy sport and i think the psychology of of aggression is something that is given a lot of um it has like a monopoly on uh, it's given a lot of credence basically in in uh, male versions of sports i would like to just bring up now a contact sport that i've recently had to try and learn how to uh, get into and watch that i didn't know anything about at all and that is kabaddi yes which is a national sport of india obviously cricket is the number one most played sport but kabaddi is one of the oldest sports and has been played by groups of people all over asia southeast asia india iran's quite a big country for it isn't it Uh, iran's really big for it now it's uh played in nepal japan china indonesia singapore and it's kind of um it for many years it was often considered like a, a country game it wasn't high profile it wasn't well, it's not been. It's not had funding behind it. It's not had representation. It's not had international outreach in in our sphere in in Europe, basically. But in and and things like cricket in India have they they've they're very international. And they've had they've had international money behind them. So it's. Um, so were you able to watch any of the highlights of the games that were going on at the moment? Yeah, a little bit actually. And what you 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 sent me a really good link to a podcast, the Desi Sportscast, which had an, a great episode introducing Kabaddi as well. And that was that was fascinating, just hearing how it's developed and grown through that, and just listening to the analysts from that and what they're looking for. And yeah, it's really. I love that they were talking about Moneyball. Yeah, Moneyballing Kabaddi. <laughs> it's brilliant. And uh, I'll be really interested to try and follow it more seriously when the new year starts up or during some of the World Cups and some of the Asian games where it grew in popularity, which led to the the league being created. And I can follow this podcast and see how I can listen along and get their kind of more professional advice, maybe. And it's the KPL or the PKL? The Pro Kabaddi League? It's the PKL. PKL, yeah. Uh, I think it's the Vivo PKL, but that's just at the moment. What was the number one thing that kind of surprised you about watching this? Um, what jumps out at you? The the sudden um, aggressive contact was was quite like wow oh my god that's in, like it's intense because it, it's a lot of kind of they're trying to work each other out it's almost like boxers kind of. Um, sort of dancing around and, and looking for an opening and then all of a sudden they just go for it and it's just it it's like this tension stays at this quite high level and all of a sudden it just peaks it, it's so intense it does kind of feel like you're playing tag on the schoolyard yeah so there are there are two teams and they have either side of the court and you have to send a raider into the other the opposing team's side of the court 
and they have to tag the players or tag a certain area of the court, which is quite deep in the court, and then get back to their own side before they're tackled. If they manage to get back to their own side, they get points for how many people they tagged or set number of points for the area that they managed to tap in. Whereas if they get tackled, they go out and they don't get anything. And depending, and you can get these things like super tackles and super raids, depending on how many people they had versus how many people you had to, you know, survive past or how many, you know, if you absolutely had to make that tackle. And so what you've got is all these guys holding on to each other, trying to avoid the, trying to avoid getting tagged, but they also have to be close enough that they're able to always tackle the person who tags them. So it's just this waiting game. Everybody on their agile little feet. Uh, <laughs> their agile little feet. They've all got tiny feet, Kabaddi players. No, no, they, they don't have tiny feet. But You know how like in rugby, like you want really, really tall guys to play lock. And in Kabaddi, you want people with really tiny feet. <laughs> but it's like, like you say, like boxing-wise, you, you know, they've got their, their feet moving quick, they're light on their toes, and they're just kind of teasing each other until they go for that move. And as soon as that happens, then everyone's trying to tackle this one person. They're trying to break free. They're trying to get back over the line. Uh, it's uh, you, it almost happens too quick for you to see what's happened. Yeah, it's and it's intense once because once they've tagged and they've got to get back, the other team is just like after them. <laughs> and it's yeah. The videos I was watching had a really, really enthusiastic commentator. It was it was very fun. Yeah, because it's mostly um, I, I guess kind of Hindi commentary. Um, so it's it's hard to kind of. So, you know, if you don't speak the language, obviously you're not going to understand exactly what the commentary is. But but you you get totally from listening just to the rhythms of the commentary, the the excitement of the game. And, and the videos that. I was listening to were English-speaking Indian people who were doing the commentary. Oh, uh, so that was really helpful to kind of listen to how they're going through that. And I watched some videos on how to understand the scoring system and how it's working. So it's a fascinating sport because... The league started up about nine years ago, and it, it's just exploded. There's so much money been pumped into it, and it's like a franchise system. So I think it's roughly $250,000 to kind of like buy a team to go in, mm. American dollars. And then people are like buying players, creating their teams... Uh, obviously doing all the trading stuff and and they've managed to go from I think 8 teams to 12 teams now and they play like round robin and then go through the elimination round and playoffs and it's now the second most watched sport in India after the IPL which yeah, I think yeah, is the, yeah, the cricket uh, it's the 2020 cricket uh, tournament they have there it's yeah and massive. so the model for this sport is based off of that one yeah and that's been the model for the IPL is actually what a lot of other which cricket around the world is basing itself on. So good model to base yourself off. Very successful. And yeah, it, it, it's um, it's fascinating that this kind of ancient local sport has had this surge in popularity and has rocketed back up to be such a prominent thing. And there are teams in England, Canada, America, all across Europe. Iran, Japan, that all compete in international championships. Obviously, not many of them are anywhere near as good as India. But uh, I heard that Korea beat them recently. I think Iran are really good as well. I think yeah. they're maybe second best in the world. But the it, it's just interesting to see team countries like Argentina trying to produce Kabaddi teams and people getting involved in it and 
the sport developing and they're doing everything they can as well obviously to have lots of marketing lots of media coverage um trying to get it out there and it's really good that this podcast that we mentioned um is choosing to shed a light on other indian sports alongside cricket yeah i think like like alex was saying as well it's the representation side of things as well that's massive so you know money does play a big part in sport and well we'll talk a little bit more about that later on but the yeah the fact that it's having so much pumped into the marketing of it, it enables it to reach out to these new audiences and like like alex was saying with the with the women's world cup that took place you know that just has such an impact on people being able to see it and actually i think we're really lucky in britain that we've got this big sort of indian diaspora and so we we get to kind of yeah there's a little bit of kabaddi coming off it was been on sky sports here occasionally and um yeah we're like you were, we were talking about bollywood films recently as well and we i think we're really quite lucky that you know with with the various sort of the way that um the world's sort of changing and people are moving from place to place we're getting to explore more of these things and kabaddi is class it's yeah i've i've really enjoyed watching it it's so intense so you've also been watching roller derby yeah so i've been trying to get um into that as well because we were talking about inclusivity and we were talking about kind of what's interesting contact sports to get into and roller derby is essentially the only female dominated contact sport in the world and specifically i've been looking up the flat track version of it because you can have a specifically built track but they're quite expensive and you have to kind of usually move them in and out in order for it to become more accessible for people all around the world the flat track version was created in the early 2000s by a texas team and the other thing that's so fascinating especially because you like the green bay packers and how they're run by the fans yeah just to say on the green bay packers the reason i managed to get into them as a story is because they're not owned by a corporation they're like each of the fans can have a small stake in it and then it's governed by a board of directors and it's a, it's actually a non-profit team as well which i think is incredible it's a, to be competing still at like the top level of one of the world's and did you sports. know that when children are born in green bay they go into the ballot to try and get a season ticket pass and then they'll in the hope that sort of by the time they're old enough eventually they might be lucky enough to get one after i don't know 15 20 30 seasons and then they'll have their season ticket pass for the rest of their life how incredible is that i love that so yeah they they plan they go and register them like almost the day that they're born so they have a better chance to try and like uh get there ready for it um but i thought you'd be interested that the roller derby is essentially set up by the players for the players is funded by the players and organized by them and run by them and it started off as sort of one or two leagues and it grew across north america and then it started to move across to the uk across europe and there are now easily over 400 global leagues and i think in the uk we have uh, 400 leagues globally not 400 global leagues sorry yes 400 leagues globally. <laughs> the UK market is particularly big. And right now, they just had uh, one of the European kind of conference championships. And interestingly that you'd been there, the Gothenburg team won against Antwerp yes. in the final. So the Dock City Rollers won. And what's so fascinating about that and some of the videos that we've been looking up is... And I'm obviously passing on opinions of other people, but they've, they've been coming up in these videos that... They find that it's a sport that is more inclusive and more welcoming and supportive of them than any other that they find. 
that that identity and that that safe space and that um camaraderie that they achieve they're able to get by enlisting in roller derby can i just say that i love one of the team names from the uk is skate pliskin <laughs> nice <laughs> which is uh so pun that snake pliskin was the lead character in the john carpenter film escape from new york yeah kurt russell yes i love that that's such a great pun i've been trying to think if i should if we should come up with our roller derby names at some point oh, yeah. uh i quite like shania Payne. that was a good one that, <laughs> that was one so that somebody good. has which i yes. which i really liked <laughs> Oh man, it's got such a sense of fun to it. And uh, when I was watching Skate Pliskin, and it's it's a real mix. It's men, women, everybody's everybody's yeah. So where is it? Mixed teams. I think maybe the leagues vary depending on the clubs, but it has been become so popular now that there are men's teams and mixed teams, and they're generally very inclusive and and they're actually kind of at the forefront for that level of inclusivity, uh, welcoming trans people intersex people people who don't want to identify as any particular gender or sexuality or anything and they're all being welcomed into these great roller derby teams that are competing all over the world it's fascinating i think the older entrenched sports are really struggling to get to grips with some of these ideas and um actually the newer sports are finding it so much easier to just yeah to connect with people and uh to um it's fascinating to watch it grow because it's growing not based off of um uh television broadcasting it's not growing based off of gambling um or marketing in that sense it's not got tv adverts yes there's the film whip it but that's like one movie Mm. i wouldn't say that it's in the media forefront and center saying hey watch this it's being built because people want to play it. And when they tell people about it, they want to play it. And it's growing and just growing continually with that kind of supportive network of people. So how does the role of physicality in that sport, how does that work within that inclusive environment? How much um, how much importance is placed on the physicality? How do they... It's, it's very important, but it, um, it always... It's very positive physicality all the interviews that i've listened to all the footage that i've watched people are just so happy to be getting out there and they get they get knocked down and they get back up and and it's just so thrilling to be able to just play and be invigorated by that it's a very physical sport yeah uh, it's because essentially it's two teams kind of on a track who yeah you've got you've got all your trying to get past each other yeah the jammers have to get through and the blockers are trying to put them on their ass and stop them getting through and they're having to uh they have to fight through the all the blockers and then get out ahead and then loop the track and then pass as many of those people as they can to score and you've got to do that consistently throughout the game it's like it's like wall of death <laughs> on a track on roller skates incredible it's it's actually yeah it helps to watch versions that are on dedicated tracks um so that you can kind of get a feel of it more but uh, often they're still just played in other kind of venues at the moment but um, when they really go for it, it's, yeah, it's good fun to watch. Yeah, so all I would just say is if you've never watched Roller Derby or you love Whippet and you want to get involved, there's uh, loads and loads of local teams. Brighton actually has one. And um, you can easily get out and support them, watch their games. They're going to be really fun. And then you can uh, get involved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's there's plenty of opportunities to get involved in, in all these sports in the UK. Like you said, there's, you know, there's Kabaddi going on in the UK somewhere. So, yeah. 
Well, the question I had been wanting to ask you, and this is what I've been trying to prep for in advance, considering everything we know and everything we've talked about, when you see, when you're watching the sport, let's say England's playing, and you see a player carry out something that's, I mean, borderline foul, if not at least incredibly aggressive and dominating, where the other person is probably hurt, maybe not intentionally, but just from the sheer impact of it. Do you find yourself jumping off off the floor, swinging your arms in the air, cheering, unbelievably like pumped by what you just watched? I think actually the way we talk about these things now is having a big impact on the way I'm watching them because now I'm realizing how big an impact this can have on people's lives. Now when I'm seeing big hits, I'm not thinking, oh, that's dramatic and that's a big moment in the game. So with all of these risks in place, why do you think psychologically we still love contact sports? You love it. I mean, I know you play and you coach tag, so it's it's slightly different, but you obviously still love watching the NFL. That's your thing. So, I think that the flag version that I play becomes a contact sport and I can still enjoy those contact elements from it. But you know that it's still relatively restricted and half the contact is incidental and half of the contact is against the rules but everybody just does it Hmm. and you kind of feel like if you don't try and match them a little bit then you're just at a disadvantage if the ref isn't going to call anything so it's about kind of matching the other people and i enjoy that and i think it's great and Yes, I probably would admit that some of my favorite plays are the ones where you have been really physical to outmaneuver an opponent. That being said, I wouldn't, I would never go play for a contact American football spot team. I think, again, what Alex was saying about the referees and the importance we have to place on them is we have to understand that, you know, yes, we can treat them as villains for the drama, but we have to understand that they're entirely necessary. Otherwise, the whole thing just doesn't function. Is I mean, what what do you what would you do about these contact sports? You know, there are people who want contact sports to be banned, and I was thinking about this with the boxing death. But if you ban boxing, people are just going to do it illegally, and it's going to be more dangerous. I I don't know how you get around it, and I don't know. I think it there's just there's innate things in us where we enjoy competition, and if it's more physical, maybe that adds to the entertainment. Maybe it's gladiatorial for us. I don't know. But just as an individual, I don't really like boxing. I don't like mm. UFC. I, You can be drawn to them because it's, it's almost like um, legal violence. And you're like, oh, this is really weird. I'm, I'm going to watch this person have their face smashed in. And I think it's I much allowed. prefer it to illegal violence. Though. Oh yeah, and yeah, agreed. I think, we, and there were rules, but like, I still, I still find it a little bit. I'm not really a fan. I think it's why it's important as a society we promote sportsmanship, fair play, and compassion. I think that's a rule for general society as well. Is we need to have, and I think that's why sport is, you know, is always an interesting prism to look at things through because it the, reflects how we think as a society. The really weird thing about boxing and UFC is that they're designed to be fighting pre-fight in all the meetings, in all the press. They're designed to be talking about how they're going to kill the other person. I wonder and if they, that's something that's going to change. And they won't shake hands, and they fight often. They often fight at the podium. 
during their weigh-ins. Yeah. Like physically, they have to get restrained and pulled apart because they've thrown punches at each other. And they're trying to create that story. And yeah, they're, they're using it's like wrestling. Yeah. It's like creating. You know how wrestling. It's like ongoing story arcs that actually, build and build. I actually enjoy wrestling a lot more than boxing. So, and I, I think that there's a certain um, strategic um, fighting in the build-up to a game to get people excited because they're like, this fight is going to be out of control. These guys are going to fight to the death. Yeah, and it's because, kind of a voyeuristic spectacle, isn't it? Yeah, and so I think that's his own thing. I think that's quite weird. General contact sports, I think it's just... Um, yeah, there's a different definition difference there because... We've we're talking about contact sports rather than combat sports, which yeah. are still contact sports, but yeah. Um, I think it's, I think I kind of treat it the same as any sport, though. To be honest, I think you've got the same story arcs in in all of them, and the level of contact doesn't really determine if you're gonna if I'm gonna enjoy it any more or less. Yeah, absolutely. Like a really heated ping pong game, <laughs> is gonna get me more than fifty percent of the rugby games, which I find boring. <laughs> That's not true. You love rugby now. I've 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 turned. No, but ju- I've J- Japan playing rugby is great. I'm just saying, like a really low scoring Wales Scotland where it's like one went like seven Sail five. Northampton on a windy December evening, like nine six or something like that. It was last season. It was one of the worst games. Yeah, that that that's not going to interest me. Then again, there were some terrible NFL games this. this oh, yeah, agreed. But I uh, so yeah, so I think it's interesting to look at the a little bit of the theories as well. And do you think? So we're talking about instinct, frustration, aggressive cue, and social learning. Do you particularly think that any of those have are more relevant than any of the others? Do you think any of them are invalid? I don't really think that I can comment, not really being a part of it. I do think, though, that playing sports at any level, the most fascinating thing is to work out how to overcome adversity, whether that be because everything is going too well for you or too bad for you that means like you can gain a lot from a loss if you improve and you learn what you're doing wrong whereas uh, a, a victory where everything goes wrong or even a loss where you just you're just as soon as it your team falls into arguing and bickering and everything's going off scheme and you can't keep people focused uh I mean, every single thing I've mentioned now is a really good learning experience. And I think that that understanding kind of teamwork and how people respond to pressure is is the best thing. Yeah, I agree entirely. And I think one of the biggest stories, you know, what made the NFL so interesting recently was Colin Kaepernick, for example. It's a story that, uh, yeah, this, there was an interview that came up recently, Eric Reed, when he was over here in London with the Panthers. He was the other teammate. He's been doing some interviews about that situation still and, and continue to talk about them and uh, I think it's an important one to keep monitoring and important to know that even though he's not in the spot he is not retired and he is trying to play and is being essentially banned from playing did you ever hear back from that guy that you met in London or hear back from the no, team was it Chicago Bears yeah I was quite busy I was quite busy so I didn't follow them up oh, also I never fun. found a video of the footage going online so I wonder if maybe they didn't use some of it. I mean, you've got a face for face for podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> that's not true. You're gorgeous. Yeah, face for dark rooms. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I really enjoyed chatting to Alex this week, and it's been great kind of delving into a few of those issues. We, I think, I think we we kind of chatted a bit more generally. And so, if you've got anything that you really feel like 
theory-wise or anything like that that you want to tell us about, please, please do get in touch. Um, we really enjoyed doing the bonus episode last time out, so we had a little chance to respond to some of what people were saying to us, and we learned a bit more about alcohol after that episode. So please do share your discoveries with us, get in contact with us by finding us on Facebook and Instagram at the Great Unknown Pod. You can email us at thegreatunknownpod at gmail.com and we're on Twitter at Great Unknown Pod. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Blueberry, Pocket Cast, and our brilliant hosts on Podbean. If you enjoy the podcast, please, please do subscribe and you'll get each new episode delivered automatically, including the bonus episodes that are coming to your device. So please leave us a review and a rating so more people can come and join in. We love hearing from you. Do get in touch. It's absolutely fantastic chatting with you all. And it's an absolute pleasure learning more and more and figuring out the many, many things that we just don't know. So please, please do get in touch. We love it. And don't forget, you can find LFC on Instagram at LFC London. Do get involved with them if you would like to. Yep, we are the great unknown and uh, we thank you for listening. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye.